This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Stories to Keep You Up at Night. As always, I'm your curator, Marco Palmieri, and here as my fellow tour guide is Christina Teleska. Yeah, I see what you did there. For today's story, please come right this way and stay between the velvet ropes at all times. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking, and stop. (laughs) The museum in this story, though, is not exactly the Smithsonian. No, it's not. It's not even on Earth, and this particular visit is not as benign as most. An old man goes to an alien art museum to see Monet's water lily pond and to see the alien's most cherished work of art. But his reasons for doing so aren't exactly what they seem. This is A Slow Day at the Gallery, written by A.M. Della Monica and voiced by Chris McDonald. Vita gripped his arm, urging him closer. They worked their way to the edge of the sculpture, and the alien's tail stretched out to roam over it lovingly. Christopher touched the cool surface. Visually, it was seamless, a single white structure made of unidentifiable material. But under his fingers, the texture and temperature varied. Parts of it were woody, others metallic, still others plastic. Towering above them, the statue's shadow was washed out by the steady golden light emitted from six light globes, which encircled it like a wide halo. This thing predates Columbus and Shakespeare, Christopher thought. It has been sitting here since before my kind invented the printing press. Nothing. His old heart refused to be moved. Vita hissed. M chirped to translation. When I was new-hatched, my parents brought me here. I climbed all the way to the top. The holds look worn down from here at the bottom, but the effect is intentional. You'd be surprised how firm they are. When you are very young, Christopher, you can sit on the top, inflate your sacks, and leap down. That's a long way to fall, he said. Oh, it's perfectly safe. Inside the coiled tail is a soft moss and as babies, our bodies are very light. Crackett, the maker, intended it this way. She felt it was important for the spine to speak to us differently at the various stages of our lives. He squinted at the bulb at the top of the sculpture. It's a long way up. Weren't you scared? Terrified. I had to be coaxed down. My parents were deeply shamed. Sorry to hear it. I am the better for it. 
Many of my kind only come to see the spine once or twice. The embarrassment brought me back again and again. It remade my soul. I see, Christopher said. Perhaps you should take a rest. I think it would be comfortable if you wanted to sit here. He looked at it dubiously. It was about as high and thick as a park bench, even reasonably flat, but streaks of dried saliva were flaking away where the other Sebs had been licking it. Gentle white toes closed on his scarred elbow. Are you all right? I know I said it was acceptable for you to die indoors, but you would alert me if you were unwell, wouldn't you? Old man's prerogative, he murmured. The grip on his arm tightened, and he leaned against it experimentally. Vita gurgled. Sound denotes physical exertion, M said. He let himself fall. He landed atop the alien, tangling a leg and an arm over its twisting body. One of the bumps in the floor caught him in the kidney, a blinding sudden pain that dulled his awareness of Vita beneath him, bucking and squeaking. Liquids in its body compressed under his weight, and its thin skin stretched against him. The sounds it made, according to M, equated to surprise and minor pain. "'Christopher, are you all right?' "'Yeah,' he grunted. "'Sorry, I'll get off you in a sec. Just need my pills. Are you hurt?' "'Just pressed,' it said. "'Your body is so warm. How do you stand it?' "'Cold blood,' he muttered. Then, opening the packet of tablets, he bounced the golden globs down the length of the white body. "'Bloody hell!' he said, maintaining the façade for one more second. Then the tabs reacted to the room's ambient moisture. They popped, releasing a gelatinous payload which bound the seb to the floor of the chamber, a chatter like rocks grinding together from the body beneath him. "'Vita is alarmed!' He rolled off it, backed away. The jelly splotches spread and welded it down, tail, toes, body. It tugged at one with its foot and tore a hunk of skin away. Fluid the colour of motor oil flowed into the fuzz that covered the floor. Stay still, he ordered. You'll injure yourself. Christopher! Retrieving his cane, he leaned hard against the spine and caught his breath. Vita was still wiggling on the floor. Don't move, he said again. The web packet from his camera had already expanded to seal the room's only entrance, encasing it in a gelatinous webwork. It wouldn't seal them in for long, but he didn't need long. What are you doing? Causing a diplomatic incident, he said, unpacking the cane. What do you mean? Some chaps I know wanted me to destroy the Monet. You see, people back home have been sitting around with their thumbs up their asses for rather a long time, as we reckon it, doing squat about getting the painting back from you. The cane was filled with three different harmless fluids, all under pressure. His mates had thought he would spray it over the paintings in the earth gallery. One, two, game over. Instead, he unpacked its tripod and took careful aim at the top of the spine. He started the mechanism that would mix the chemicals into an acid. A single green droplet hissed from the tip of the device. Squeal denotes pain, M said. He looked at the child. Vita was struggling against its bonds again, and a great hunk of its leg had been torn open. Listen to me, he told it. 
Those capsules were meant to hold a human. Your skin is obviously very delicate. You must lie still. You're going to be seriously injured if you don't stop. Vita shuddered once. Little fissures bled at the edges of the jellies that bound it to the floor. All right, Vita said. After a moment, when it had clearly stopped moving, Christopher returned to his destruction of the statue. The cane beeped, indicating that the acid's mix cycle was complete. He took careful aim at the top of the spine. Strong toes gripped his knee then, hurling him backward, off balance. He fell tangled in the grip of Vita's bleeding leg. The cane still in his hand rained droplets of acid over them both. He closed his eyes, covered his face. His jacket caught most of it, although he could smell his hair burning. Don't do this, Christopher! Vita pleaded. It's too late! He struggled to free himself without tearing Vita's skin further, wincing as its body gurgled beneath him. The acid was blistering long sticky lines near its eyes, the flesh running like melted cheese. Finally, he rolled off of it, propped himself up on his elbows. Taking aim from down on the floor, he began to spray. He laid the acid on the spine in a straight, consistent layer, just like paint. Vita yanked his leg and hissed. M translated, Stop! He struggled to breathe. The general idea was that by destroying the Monet, you see, we would punish both your museum and the people in my government who let it go. The boys had whipped up these clever gadgets they thought I could slip into this place. They wanted an old man, preferably one who had one toe in the crematorium anyway. But the earth exhibit is too well protected. Acrid smoke burned at his eyes, the first chemical reaction of acid burning the statue. Besides, that painting means more to me than my own mother. You might say it remade my soul. You haven't got one, Vita whispered. I was going to tell them to stuff their job, but someone else would have gone, don't you see? And what if I was wrong? What if they did destroy it? It would have been a pointless sacrifice, cutting off our nose, as they say. I even considered warning the authorities just to save the painting. Sound equates to a contemptuous snort, M said. But then I thought, if we're going to take all these lovely toys halfway across the galaxy, why not put them to real use? Punish the guilty, I reckoned, instead of the innocent. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Drops of water dribbled down from the ceiling, an immense and sudden profusion of moisture. Striking the acid, it sizzled and steamed. Christopher saw that the spine was discoloured but not destroyed. 
the damage was probably reparable, and the acid was being dispersed by the fire system. He was failing. There was nothing more he could do. He was out of weapons. The boys had tried to build a bomb into a hearing aid or a proto, and all they'd done was blow the tester right into a coma. He'd come all this way, and at best he would have scared them. Vita requires immediate medical attention. M gave the words a plaintive tone. All right, all right. The grip on his knee had loosened, and he managed to stand upright again. The cane's payload was half-used, and so he spent the rest of the cartridge spreading acid on the door seal. Security must be outside by now, trying to cut their way in. There was no reason not to help them now. Bring a doctor, he shouted. He spared a last glance for the intact spine and then finally forced himself to look down. The knobby floor around Vita's body was filled with golden blood and water, and its struggles were weakening. It had torn itself apart, trying to stop him. And the funny thing was, he'd never been the sort who could bear to see someone who was hurt, even scratched, but he could look right at Vita. It was like seeing a movie monster, a stop-motion death scene. Before he retired, he had bombed a shuttleful of Sebs over Earth's lost paintings. He had lain awake nights, imagining they died like humans. Now... They're coming, he said. Hang on. Sound denotes great pain. Take its mind off it, he thought. I had a part-time job when I was a kid, he said. Guided museum tours in my hometown. I worked slow days only at first. They wouldn't trust me with whole groups, just the random wandering tourist. I'm tempted to think that's what your job here is like, Vita, that we have that much at least in common. We have nothing in common, M translated. I'm not like you. I wanted to stay on with that museum, but nobody at home wanted to look at paintings any more. It's all digital home galleries and knobby bric-a-brac. There was no job for me. He knelt, lifted a flap of Seb's skin and tried to press it back against the wound. Frothy orange foam was seeping from its throat. Why are you telling me this? Vita asked, twitching away from the hand he'd clapped over its injury. Distraction, he said. From what? Your desecration. He glanced at the spine again, mottled with faint black streaks where the various materials merged. It didn't work. It laughed bitterly. You're saying that because you think I'm dying? No, Christopher said. He didn't insult it by apologizing. You'll be fine. I'm trying to take your mind off the discomfort. Do you mean pain? If its body language showed a reaction, M didn't catch it. Sorry. Chattering at me like a scatbug doesn't help. They'll be through the door in a minute. I didn't know your skin was so delicate, Vita. Shut up! With that, the alien wound its toes along a hole in the floor and tried to pull itself to the blockaded exit. Pieces of its innards unraveled, stringing along the lumpy floor. Its tail tore loose lashing the spine with fading vigour. It was within a yard of the exit when he finally heard security breaking through the acid-weakened blockade with a cutting tool. Their faces filled a small gap in the webbing, and then they desperately tore at the rest of it, 
trying to open the gateway for Vita. One of them extended its tail through the hole, dangling it like a rescue rope. They weren't fast enough. The injured guide had stopped moving, air blatted, escaping the tears in the rubbery white skin as if it was a deflating life raft. Vita's body shrank and then went still. After a moment, the guard's tail retracted to the other side of the door. Seb eyestalks crowded the opening. Four or five of them stared at Christopher through the shredded jelly of the once-blocked entrance. It was only meant to immobilize, he said. There was no response. He threw away the cane and put his hands up. Didn't they have protos? I'm unarmed now, he said. No reaction. They actually backed up the corridor away from him and out of sight. Aren't you going to arrest me? He rubbed his face, was surprised to find it wet. Silence. He looked at the knobby, impassable floor. His cane, disassembled and empty, would never hold his weight again. Hey, you cops, going to cart me off or not? A chime suddenly from M. You are located in a dying place. Please leave the chamber and surrender yourself to the authorities. What the hell? He opened his mouth to shout again, and then realization hit. They wouldn't come in. Their art treasure was sealed away, ostracized by rigid beliefs and the blood of a child. They were going to leave Vita's body here to rot with its beloved spine. And who was he to be offended by that? When another minute passed and they still didn't come after him, Christopher heaved his body over the base of the spine so he was inside the curve of its tail. He lay inside, head and legs raised by its height, and found that it fit him just right. The mossy floor was blessedly comfortable, just as the tour had advertised. Something soft to land on, he murmured, settling in. His leg was aching from the pratfall he'd taken onto the lumpy floor, and both feet were throbbing. He kicked off his shoes, waggled his toes in the warm, moist air. One last lump pressed into his hip, the camera. He took it out, set it to slideshow, and projected images onto the curvy white interior of the spine. Warhol, Spencer, Malta, a fake Picasso, a Bill Reed sketch, the Monet, himself posing for fake grandkids, Vita, the mound, Vita again. Expression equates to a friendly smile, M said. Christopher tore the proto-speaker out of his ear and flipped back to the paintings. After a couple of hours, he started to get hungry. Like a lot of complex stories about fighting injustice, particularly when they're built on revenge, there's often collateral damage. And the lines between villain, hero, and anti-hero are sometimes blurred. Yes, and not just in the characters, but the blurred lines between terrorism and rebellion, depending on which side you're on. It's part of what makes the story so interesting mm -hmm. and unsettling. It also calls to mind the questionable practices that many real museums have employed for centuries, especially as they pertain to the acquisition and ownership of cultural treasures. And the relative value 
each culture mm-hmm. puts on the treasures. Yep. You know, like these two friends had and the trust they had with one another, which is then broken and then the death. It's just yeah, heartbreaking. Uh, it is. When the story ended, I needed a moment. Yeah, I absolutely get it. It's such a powerful, richly imagined story. And in the end, everybody loses. On that note, we bring this episode to a close. Museum hours have ended. And if you liked what you just heard, please contribute to Five Star Review wherever you listen to our show. And join us next time when we'll present a vivid interpretation of a 200-year-old work of erotic art. Until then, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 77, features A Slow Day at the Gallery by A.M. Delamonica. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw. And executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Christina Teleska. Performed by Chris McDonnell. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith and Spoken Realms. Additional editing by Angela Yi. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.